We're turning the clocks back a decade at a time for this special series of episodes here on Script to Screen. Kinata, Mark, and I run down our favorite movies from 2012 to give you the cinematic landscape of 10 years ago. We'll keep on decade hopping for our favorite movies of 2002 next time. Remember, you can join the Boston Screenwriters Group on meetup.com and RSVP for a Screenwriters Virtual Forum, peer-reviewing scripts, giving feedback on fellow writers' work while networking with them as well. Please check out the links on our Anchor.fm profile to follow us online, donate, or leave us a nice message to let us know how we're doing. We hope to see you at one of these virtual forums. Until then, enjoy the podcast. I always like giving a welcome to screenwriters, aspiring writers, film lovers, and everyone in between to the latest episode of Script to Screen, the, the Boston Screenwriters Group podcast hosted by myself, J.C. Stewart, Kenyatta Hoskins, and Mark Liddell, where we come in and give screenwriter, filmmaker, and film lovers perspective on movies and shows. Whenever you're giving us a listen, morning, noon, or night, we hope to be a great part of your listening cues. We hope to be the fun stuff in your, your day with these in-depth discussions on film, TV, streaming, and whatever else we want to share our thoughts on. So I'll start with the intros. I have been a co-organizer of the Boston Screenwriters Group for over seven years, helping out the founder, Deborah Sharif, with the meetups, where we help any level of experienced screenwriter peer review their screenplays with other members. I'm also a local filmmaker on the lower end of budgets, but I'm also game, but I'm always game for coming up with movie ideas and ready to film. Now, with all that settled, I'll pass it off to my co-organizer and good friend, Kenyatta. Hey, what's up? Happy Sunday morning. Uh, yeah, I've been with the uh, Boston Screenwriters Group for... Uh, over five years, been a co-organizer for about three or more years, and um, happy to be here. You know, check us out on Facebook, and we also have YouTube channel and uh, Instagram and all that good stuff. So, um, happy to be here. Talk about films. Everybody's Mark Lydell again. Uh, again, happy to be here. Lover of film. Uh, seems like it's a lifetime ago. Was engaged in uh, thespian work on stage and a little bit on on screen. Um, and I just love talking about movies. It allows me to still be, be involved in, in the creative part of myself. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, we've decided uh, to do something a little bit different around here. Uh, we, as we always do, we always do like going back, you know, in these franchises, looking back where they start, you know, winding back the clock. But we decided, uh, why don't we just wind back the clocks all the way without a certain franchise uh, sort of, uh, you know, anchoring the way uh, and just do a little bit of decade hopping, uh, sort of, uh, you know, the uh, decade anniversary sort of way. Uh, and so we figured, let's go back. 10 years ago in amazing, uh, surprisingly 10 year anniversary of a lot of these, of uh, 2012 movies. Uh, 2012 was uh, uh, sort of an interesting year for, for movies, uh, but on really the uh, reason personally I wanted to do it is because really this was back when I started to really get into movies or at least uh, uh, sort of really thinking about them on a more, um, on or really what movies could do sort of in terms of uh, messaging and themes and uh, acting. You know, I always liked movies, but really uh, 10 years ago, it was really, you know, right out of college, uh, basically is when I started to really get into movies and the, the filmmaking process and all that. So I think it's a good benchmark for myself personally, but uh, in terms of, you know, uh, movies uh, of uh, 2012, uh, I think there's, I think there'll be an interesting sort of, uh, uh, we'll have interesting picks to share of uh, what the landscape was like just, you know, 10 years ago in this, you know, ever changing uh, digital era of uh, filmmaking. 
but there's uh yeah we decided to go with our sort of a top three or four or five or however we can not get to but does uh, anyone want to start us off sort of uh with their picks of uh, what they th- what their faves of the of uh, 10 years ago sure so we're gonna go i guess around each one give one and... okay cool okay, so well, yep I'll, I'll start off with one that i didn't see at the movies i happened to see it um I forgot how was it on, on yes old school um Netflix DVD back when I was doing that um and this movie is because it, it flew under the radar and I think most folks haven't even heard of it uh it's called Searching for Sugarman and it was a, it's a documentary um that highlighted a person I'd never heard of and um you know a guy who's actually from my neck of the woods, Detroit, who was a rocker at a time when Detroit was like the epicenter of all things like music, not rock. Well, and even there's some rock acts during that point too. A lot of folks think about Motown, um, but there are rock acts, Alice Cooper, um, the Stooges, MC5. These are all kind of rock bands are big. And this guy's trying to make his way into the rock world. His name was Rodriguez. Um, And tried as he did, he never got a foothold into the industry. And, you know, people just thought his career was over. It turned out that, you know, his music kind of surfaced halfway around the world in South Africa and it became a huge hit there, you know, decades later. And, you know, a guy who thought that his career was over and really didn't ever, never start, got the ground, never really started, actually had a, a, a huge following halfway around the world and documentary was made to kind of highlight um, all the trials that he went through in between um, his struggles trying to make it and the success he would later have uh, halfway around the world. So Searching for Sugarman, um, really interesting documentary uh, directed by Malik Benjulul. Um, and yeah, I recommend anybody uh, check that one out. It's about, um, I don't know how long it is. I think it's like two hours long. It's pretty lengthy, I believe. Um, but it's definitely worth a viewing. Uh, second that, yes. It would it would have been on my list. Maybe not uh, top uh, five or something, but definitely a, a great find. Uh, yeah, sort of um, this... Um, it's it's sort of about you know uh, you know finding your stardom but uh, you know your stardom passed you by in another country. Uh, very fascinating uh, work by uh, yeah Malik uh, uh, Benjulu. But uh, yeah, it's about uh, uh, Stephen Sugar uh, Sugarman. But uh, yeah, he did a few albums uh, around uh, you know in uh, you know made a little bit of uh, uh, made a little bit made a few waves uh domestic side but really yeah the, the documentary is about how um uh how the impact that he had on the south africans music scene in the 70s and um it's just uh it's just a great work uh, all around uh, actually it's a it's a it's a very comfortable under uh 90 minutes uh, so it's a very uh very nice uh, bingeable sort of uh sort of length uh, definitely worth uh, checking out um yeah it's yeah i definitely second that it's a very great a very great documentary on sort of like um and that there's nice little animated sequences that you know fill in the gaps when there isn't uh uh which which i'm all for uh yeah there's sort of uh 
uh, instead of sort of the reenactments that, uh, you know, sort of toe the line between, you know, is this archival, you know, between archival footage and, you know, uh, you know, actual narrative work, you know, I, I'm all more for, you know, sort of doing animated or something different rather than, uh, but, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, definitely highly recommended as well from my end. That, that's a la Candyman, I guess. <laughs> Candyman, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's sort of, I guess you could put it that way. Shadow puppets or whatever. Shadow puppets. Yeah, right, right. Uh, but from my end, okay, so 2012, um, so right when I was starting to get into more into, uh, you know, independent cinema and, uh, you know, really trying to go, you know, to the, uh, uh, to, to the more, the, the, the to the more you know nonprofits or the theaters around Boston, you know, trying to check out the you know the movies that only get you know a two week run, and then you know they're out of the theaters, out of circulation until you have to uh, uh, go you know streaming uh, uh, searching in order to really find it when it comes out. But um, but there was one such that I don't I don't think got a huge theatrical uh, release, and I'm not entirely. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure like what was the uh, release date because I don't believe I actually saw this in 2012. I may have seen this a few years later, so I'm cheating a little bit, but it was released, you know, the, the official release date is uh, 2012, so I'm, I'm putting it up there. But uh, it's uh, Eugene uh, Jarecki's The House I Live In, and I believe, yeah, it did. Yeah, okay, so it did premiere at Sundance, but uh, uh, again, I'm not clear on what exactly the uh, sort of the distribution was for this, but uh, it is a, you know, gut-ranged documentary and sort of the uh, the effects of, the, you know, the war on drugs, you know, all the way from the beginning, uh, not just, you know, the 70s, 80s, but all the way back into, you know, um, the... Uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the laws that came up because of uh, the opium uh, the opium epidemic all the way back in the 1800s, you know, and just following just sort of you know how we how you know the system has just added on laws in order not uh, you know not to help out you know the uh, the addicts or any anything like that, but to really just punish them and just continually punish them into sort of the the just this endless loop of where you're um, in an endless loop that's not so, that's not solving anything it's exacerbating problems you know all the way to what we have right now uh, and it's a it's a just a uh, just a uh, again just a gut-wrenching documentary that really delves into things and it was one of the first times that I really had to think about these sort of things you know um, you know what um, you know what do uh, sort of laws sort of uh, you know, there's the there's the way laws are presented and what they are you know, sort of uh, sort of um, presented in doing, but what what they what they actually do in practice, and that's you know that's a very comp, sort of a complicated thing to sort of get your mind around. But uh, Eugene Jarecki's uh, documentary is just heart wrenching, and it does it not you know it's not just talking heads talking heads. Talk, well, it, it's not just talking heads talking heads giving you information information information. It's giving you the stories of you know families that have been deeply you know destroyed you know because of these uh because of these sort of the, the system that has been instilled uh and just uh continually just fueled you know over you know the past 200 and plus years uh, since the almost the very founding of uh, of the united states but um yeah just a uh, again i'm not entirely sure what the uh distribution was for this but uh uh, definitely check it out if you haven't. It, uh, it'll it, you'll find it somewhere, and it's uh, you know there's there's certainly a lot uh, about uh, the opium uh, you know epidemic uh, you know uh, 
the uh, opioid epidemic right right now uh, that's going around. Uh, you know, you have a lot of fascinating works and fascinating documentaries. But uh, I think this was one of the first that really started to like peel the curtain back in terms of, you know, how we treat, um, you know, how how we sort of treat, you know, you know, quote unquote, you know, the uh, the the uh, you know the quote unquote undesirables, you know, the people that we don't want to sort of uh, be a part of uh, be a part of society, and it's. Uh, it, it, it was a really eye-opening experience for myself. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. I've got to go check that one out. Is it streamable anywhere? Um... It is. It's on, let's see here. I'm sure, yeah, it's on Tubi. Okay, yeah, it's, it's on all like the, uh, it's on, it is on, it is available for rental on, on Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, it's on a lot of other sort of, um, Things. Yeah, again, it's sort of a weird uh, distribution, and I'm, I'm not quite sure how it exactly was sort of uh, um, how it sort of played when it uh, was first released. But yeah, definitely worth uh, checking out. Um, uh, definitely worth uh, looking at it. Uh, again, yeah, Eugene Jarecki's The House I Live In. Okay. Yeah, I've never heard of um, none of the films that you guys mentioned. And um, you said Searching for Sugar Man is on Netflix. Is that what you said? Ooh, it's um. Let me see. You're it's on Prime Video uh, for rent, like for three uh, bucks. But it's not. Um, I just happened to check it out on IMDb to see where it was available. It's on Prime Video for rent. Oh, okay, for rent. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see a lot of documentaries in 2012, but um, the film I was going to talk about first, I think, you know, since you guys brought up documentaries, I I did see one documentary, um that I will mention that I did enjoy. And, um, I, you know, I, one of my favorite genres is horror. So um, here's a classic director who directed the, the Shining and there's a documentary called Room 237, 237. And it kind of um, explores like various interpretation of uh, Stanley Kubrick's film. Mm -hmm. I thought was very interesting and it, gave me another a new appreciation with The Shining. And because I did have a love-hate relationship with The Shining in terms of like one minute, I said, oh, this is a great film. Another minute, I was like, oh, I think I overestimated this film. And then uh, after watching the documentary, I go back, it kind of gave me a new appreciation for the film. It was just, um, back then I didn't really watch a whole lot of documentaries, but I really was intrigued by this one. So um, I'm not sure you guys, saw room 237 but um, yeah. that's something that i enjoyed yeah i really love that one too i mean um again it, like you said it gives a whole different interpretation of, of, of kubrick's film uh, i remember when the shining came out i was a youngster and um didn't really appreciate it as much as i do now and this documentary even gives me, you know, again, another layer of understanding of it or uh, potential um, codes that's happening or, you know, subliminal uh, items that are in the movie. Um, I don't think, maybe I, I shouldn't make this statement, but I will. I think Kubrick's someone that you enjoy if you're an adult, not a kid, no matter what the Kubrick film is, <laughs> given his style and how he's kind of very methodical and deliberate um, with what he does, right? So. Um, both uh, age and this documentary have given me a newfound uh, appreciation uh, for The Shining, certainly. 
Oh, I enjoyed uh, certain Kubricks as, as a kid, but yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah, it's uh, not not for every not for every kid, definitely. Uh, especially uh, not uh, you know the much more uh, methodically approached uh, ones. But uh, I, I remember. Uh, but uh, yeah, Room Two Three Seven. It uh, I actually have gotten to it, even though I'm a huge Kubrick fan and I'm all for you know doing deep dives into sort of what he's trying to say, you know, all the symbolism and all the metaphors and all the sort of um, uh, direction that he, he goes in uh, some, uh, in certain scenes and certain allegories. Uh, but I have, you know, I, I you know, I, but I'm inundated with sort of, uh, you know, um, uh, cracking Kubrick, if you will, uh, sort of all these uh, online forums and online ch chat rooms about, you know, oh, what is, uh, you know, uh, what does it mean that uh, Danny has an Apollo 11 sweater, you know, in The Shining, you know, and, uh, you know, what does it mean that, um, um, uh, what does it mean, you know, that that he encounters, you know, the uh, the bartender in the gold room, you know, and the, what does the last shot mean, you know, and all that. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm in, but I actually haven't gotten around to uh, seeing uh, room two, three, seven, all the way, all the way through. But uh, yeah, def I'm always uh, up for, you know, uh, going and talking about Kubrick and, uh, you know, all the things that he puts into his movies that just make that just get under your skin and just like, uh, make you think and uh, that's, that's obvious with this uh, sort of documentary and go next mark sure sure um next for me is well i have to put one on here because i am a fan of the genre i know it's not highbrow entertainment but i did appreciate um the subverted expectations that came about in the movie cabin in the woods um <laughs> i know i've mentioned this before um because it is one of my favorite uh horror movies um the blending of horror with comedy um, with a little bit of mystery of what the heck's going on. Um, it was, I think, probably one of my favorite horror movies of the, of the last decade um, because of that. Um, and yeah, I, I know it, it probably made no one else's, not saying you three, but no, no other like um, well, you know, world renowned critics list. But Cabin in the Woods for me, because it subverted expectations, uh, it had scary moments and it had comedy and you didn't really know exactly where it was gonna go, um, really made my list. So much of horror is uh, paint by numbers and this was not paint by numbers. And because um, you know it did the unexpected at certain times, uh, it, it really was satisfying. I want to see something else similar to that. Not the same thing, not the same story, but something else that kind of subverts my expectations um, and gives me a little bit of mystery and intrigue. Um, yeah, because it sets you up to make you think, oh, this is a typical, oh, these are young people going out to a cabin and there's going to be like an axe murderer or whatever in the woods. Or there's going to be, you know, a Freddy or Jason, some kind of evil uh, entity that, that, that attacks them one by one. Um, and, and there is a little bit um, of that in terms of people, you know, dying, uh, young folk dying, but um, there's a totally other, well, if you haven't seen it, for those who have not seen it, um, it'll surprise you as to what's actually going on in that movie. So Cabin in the Woods is my second pick. And for, for me, that film, um, it was um, misleading, I think, the marketing. And I went in with a certain expectation. I do agree with everything you just said. But my expectation, I'm, I'm went into the movie 
expecting kind of like an unofficial reboot of the evil dead part two you know so that's what i was so it was something in the market that kind of kind of led me to that um expectation but um one of my favorite scenes is i should say parts of the film was the end when they went to the elevators and then you know you could um you see all these uh different creatures from hell i when, the reason why it's like one of my favorite parts because growing up you know you have nightmares as a, as a kid um you watch a horror movie or whatever you have dreams afterwards you know you can't sleep but you you know you go back and watch another horror movie uh again soon afterwards even though you every time you watch it you kind of have nightmares well my nightmares are so similar um so now that kind of proves i, I wasn't the only one had that same uh uh nightmare where i had the same nightmare like you're in elevation you drop you know you can go to different parts of hell whatever so i appreciated that part because it kind of you know um i related to it because i myself kind of had the same nightmare so but i did like the end and um and i like the fact that it was it was different like you said that it wasn't paint by numbers um because like you know, at a certain part, like in the beginning, it was like, what the hell's going on when you see the people betting in the office and whatever. So, it, yeah, to me, um, it, it got, it did get a lot of good reviews when it first came out. And um, it's one of those things that if you um, are an avid horror fan that you add into your library. Certainly should be prominent in a lot of uh uh, any horror fans to sort of collection uh yeah second that uh, definitely uh, up there for me as well um yeah the mark yeah again the, the marketing for this was I, I don't know misleading or they just uh, didn't want to of course give away the big sort of uh the big thing that was uh, the big uh, high concept that was going on um but uh, I, I don't know if I saw it in, you know, 10 years ago, 20, but I, I've def, I've have since, you know, seen it and loved it. Uh, sort of, uh, it takes all these sort of, um, sort of tropes and all the trappings that you expect from a movie titled Cabin in the Woods, but it completely uh, turns it on its head, completely just uh, uh, does it does something else with it and uh, sort of uh, comments on the genre and uh, you know deconstructs the genre and i know that's i, I, I know that it's, it's a very high-minded way of putting things but uh it it does it, it sort of um it, uh, it sort of it turns the genre on its head and uh, uh uh, I don't know how much I want to get into spoilers just in case uh, anyone who hasn't seen it, but uh, uh, yeah, this was sort of um, just a, a great, uh, the, a great movie, but it had a, you know, uh, one of those uh, troubled sort of releases. Uh, um, uh, it sat on a shelf for like a year and then they wanted to do a 3d conversion and then they didn't want it. Then they, uh, they didn't. And then uh, Chris Hemsworth got big. And so then they just said, yep, this, definitely deserves a theatrical release. And then, uh, so just, there was all, you know, huge rigmarole roll about, uh, you know, how this was going to get into theaters, but uh, I'm glad we finally did get to see it. And, uh, you know, surprisingly that the, you know, that the, you know, the, the big studio decided that, you know, this wasn't good enough uh, yet in, in, in its form, but um, I'm glad that, uh, uh, Drew Goddard was, was able to sort of put his, uh, uh, you know, first stamp on sort of, um, 
uh, uh, put his first stamp sort of the public conscious with this work. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, highly, of course, highly recommended if you haven't seen it, but uh, uh, definitely in, uh, if you're a horror fan, you'll, you'll know why. Uh, it, there's a lot of surprises there for you. Well, I would just say this, you know, I've, this is my constant kind of refrain, but do your best to avoid trailers of, of a lot of movies, especially, you know, ones like this that might kind of flip the script. It gets you into thinking that certain things are going to happen. Uh, for me, I'll, I'll see it as much of a trailer as it takes for me to whet my appetite. And I'm, I just, that's it. And, and certain flicks, I don't watch them at all by a certain director. I'm going to check it out anyway. So sorry for that, that, um, I guess, um, unexpected flavor, Kenyatta. Maybe if you hadn't seen the trailer, you wouldn't have that expectation. I just, because I didn't see much of, of the trailer with this. So um, yeah, sometimes the trailers will do you in. They'll have you expecting one thing, expecting milk and it's lemonade in the glass. So, yeah. <laughs> expecting milk when it's lemonade. Yeah, that's that's too much of a surprise, right? But um, uh, yeah, so my, my next pick, it's not a horror film per se, um, but, um, if you know this director, he, uh, he does, um, he does, he, he does horror movies that, uh, um, just horror movies that aren't really, you wouldn't classify as horror, but, um, it's from, uh, uh, Michael Haneke or Michelle Hanukkah, or, and I know there's like different ways of pronouncing it, a, uh, uh, a German filmmaker who's, uh, uh, who's been working in the, uh, you know, sort of the, the, the Euro, uh, European, uh, film scene for, uh, going on, uh, you know, uh, over 40 years now, but, uh, he does movies that really get under your skin. Uh, you wouldn't, I, I, well, no, I guess you would classify a few of his movies as straight up horror, but, uh, he does movies about sort of the human condition that, you know, that you don't, you don't really want to see. But uh, he presents it anyway for people that are curious about, you know, his uh, vision of the world. And uh, this one, uh, Amor from uh, 2012, uh, this is, uh, yeah, this, this is, uh, you know, the title, of course, is uh, Love and um, Love uh, it translates to love. And uh, this is this is real love. <laughs> this is. Uh, um, you know, this is a, a, a elderly couple who's uh, who realizes that you know their time on this earth is you know uh, is, is is coming to an end together. But uh, they, they go through it together, and uh, uh, yeah, this is you know you know we have all we've had you know very various depictions you know many 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 various depictions of you know romance and love you know throughout the ages in film. Uh, this is yeah uh, you know this is uh, you know th th this is the final sort of. Uh, uh, the final leap of uh, of uh, of love that, that that you can give, and, it, uh, and Michael Haneke depicts it so just uh, uh, just uh, you know in his in his own way, just unbelievably, just in your face, and uh, yeah, this the realities of you know uh, end of life, and you know sharing that with someone else, and it's uh, it is a grueling watch. I will not I will not sugarcoat it in any way. It is a grueling. As if you know the director, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but um, uh, the, 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 and it's only basically a two-hand uh, stage play, uh, basically. Uh, but um, there are certain dream sequences that that that, that really, uh, you know, uh, that, that really get into the psychology of what's going on. And um, 
Uh, it starred uh, Emmanuel Riva, who received an Academy Award nomination. I think the oldest uh, at 86, the oldest, uh, uh, well, then uh, the oldest uh, Academy uh, Award nominee. Uh, but, uh, and uh, Jean-Louis, I'm going to get, I'm going to mess up his name, uh, Jean-Louis Truchon Nan. And uh, he's, he was been a, uh, been a star of the French New Wave, uh, and this was sort of his farewell. This was both their sort of farewell, sort of uh, uh, to, to cinema and sort of being on screen. And uh, yeah, they 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 knocked it out of the park. Uh, of course, probably drawing on real life, but uh, again, uh, not a horror movie per se. But I mean, there's definitely some uh, horror elements. But again, uh, the, the title shines through love, and it is it is about love at the end. And uh, and this is, you know, yeah, this, this is what it is, what it is, you know, but um, if you are a fan of Michael Haneke, this is probably his, his warmest movie to put it. To, so, <laughs> I mean, uh, check it out if you do, but yeah, uh, uh, fair enough warning about, uh, you know, all, all the, that you'll experience throughout its runtime. Yeah, I've, I've heard, I mean, I've, I've seen the movie posters, but um, I've never uh, saw, saw the film and um, I appreciate you, uh, you know, uh, mentioning it now because I had no idea what it was about. So I think just based off of your uh, what you everything you just said about, it, I'm gonna check it out. Oh, I'm happy that I'm happy I got a uh, I got a recommendation out of it. Okay, good. <laughs> Again, yeah, I'm, the, this this is no sugarcoating it, but it, it is you know this is. Uh, you know this this is this is love you know that this is you know make you know caring for someone who uh, you know is not you know doesn't have the full capacities anymore and uh making sure that they are comfortable you know yeah and it, i mean rough stuff but uh uh definitely i mean it, it it's uh, it's one of my favorites you know when i was just getting into sort of these kind of movies uh for a reason <laughs> i have not seen it but you know again with your recommendation i'll check it out as well um, that you're calling it horror makes you think this is a combination of um, the father and an 80s flip called Motel Hell. I don't know about that, but it's actually a lot more like the father. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. It's, it's the father. Yeah. So yeah, actually that's a great comparison. Yeah. Just um, yeah. Uh, of just how, you know, the, the perspectives of these two are just sort of um, uh, they know that you know that their 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 mental you know uh, facilities are are are, limit, are being limited and and it again yeah uh, this is a hard watch but at the end I think you will come out you know with a better understanding of uh, you know what uh, you know what it really means to love somebody and it uh, I think that's that's invaluable. And nobody getting turned into sausage in this. In this I don't think so. No, no. That's. <laughs> that's, 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 that's uh, I don't know if that's on. No, no, that doesn't I, I, quite happen. Yeah, ironically, um, uh, this past, uh, you know, uh, October, I just saw a little bit of um, what you call it, Motel Hell. Yeah, I, yes. I haven't saw that film in a long time. And I just recently saw it like a few months ago. So it's funny how you mentioned that. But. Um, <clears throat> My other pick for 2012 would be Looper, um, science fiction film uh, starring Bruce Willis. And um, yeah, I mean, I saw it in the movie theaters. I thought it was excellent. Um, and, and it's like, it's not like talked about all the time uh, in terms of like, you know, you hear about movies all the time, like Die Hard and aliens and 
you really popular stuff uh, that you hear about all the time and you really don't, you know, this film I think is underrated in that sense that it should be uh, a film that people should be talking about more often than they do. Um, it's just, it was a great story. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was great performances and it was, it was, it was surprising that this came out of nowhere for me. Have you guys seen it? Oh yeah, yes, I really liked it a lot. So much so I might even put, take out my third one and, and make that one my third. Um, I really liked it. I, I, they, the way they used um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt to be Bruce Willis is pretty interesting too. That I guess the, the makeup and whatever CGI stuff they had going on there uh, it was somewhat believable. Um, it was really interesting. Um, I'm always, you know, kind of intrigued by these kind of uh, time jumping kind of things and all the different uh, problems that can happen when you do have that. But I really, really, really enjoyed that one as well. Yep, very much enjoyed uh, sort of um, back when everyone loved Ryan Johnson, uh, back when uh, back when everyone loved uh, sort of before before the Star Wars and before the uh, the uh, all the um, uh <clears throat> all the uh, controversy thereof but uh, yeah this was um sort of um, a very uh, neat little time travel movie about sort of uh, predestination and uh, you know um and about uh you know, it's also about love too um but uh ironically enough but uh and um yeah yeah uh, you know sort of uh you know uh, you know, all the best to Bruce Willis, but this was sort of like his uh, last really good when he was uh, last really when he was really putting in the all the effort, you know, again, all the best to uh, what he's going through at the moment. But uh, yeah, this is sort of uh, when, uh, you know, it was surprising to see him just so ag agile and into things. And it, it was good to see, you know, unfortunately, it seems like for the last time, but um, uh, it's it, it was it was. Um, uh, yeah, and again, yeah, getting Joseph Gordon-Levitt to look like I think it was a little distracting at times, but uh, I think they could have done without the prosthetics. Uh, I think that again, it's one of those the prosthetics are distracting from the performance instead of adding to it. But um, uh, yeah, definitely a fun little like time travel romp uh, with, um, uh, with with and um, with a good uh, with with a great cast. You know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Bruce Willis, and Emily Blunt. Uh, and also, uh, I can't remember, but well, there's a great um, kid performance. And, and when I say kid, I mean like six or seven years old. And yeah, and uh, a, it, I remember that. I remember that part of it because uh, it was, it's kind of shocking to see, you know, the, this level of, uh, uh, you know, performance from a, 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 that, that from someone that young. It is a gr it's a great uh, performance, uh, you know, shockingly so. You know, you don't get those very often, uh, you know, from the, Again, from performers that young, uh, but uh, it, it, yeah, yeah, very nice uh, movie all around. So uh, my third and final one. This is difficult because I kind of torn between a few movies, and then when Kenyatta introduced Looper, I'm like, oh, that could be mine. Um, but there are two. I was kind of trying to figure out which one would be my, my third. I'll I'll just give you both. I guess a little bit about both. Not go in depth about either one, but um, one of them um, felt well. First of all, it was directed by Robert Zemeckis, and it felt as if it belonged um, in a the decade prior. And I don't know the the feel of it was a little bit different um, than movies in the, the the first decade of the 
2010s or 10s. Um, that's Flight with Denzel Washington. Um, I think he does a fantastic job playing uh, this troubled pilot um, and what he has to go through um, to kind of get his life back or, or get his dignity back. Um, but it, it, it kind of felt out of place. I remember when I watched it, like this feels as if this belongs in the 90s. Um, nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that was what he was going for. I just think Zemeckis is like showing, um, I don't know, his age in the same way that that I think um, Clint Eastwood shows his age when he makes movies. Um, again, nothing wrong with that. But uh, another one I, I thought might make the list is Django Unchained. Um, of course, we know um, by um, Tarantino, uh, starring Jamie Foxx. Oh, um, you took my number one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't sure Flight or Django, and then Looper comes in the mix. So those are three really good movies. I'm going to go in depth about Django because I think Kenyatta will do that. I did like Flight and um, Robert. I mean, you can't go wrong with Denzel and Robert Zemeckis. Um, liked his many of his other films and of course a lot of films uh Denzel Washington said I was always planning on watching it again but I did see it in movie theaters and you know I I, I did enjoy it so yeah that's a that's a good pick yeah did like flight uh, sort of if uh you know uh, Sully Soldenberger was an alcoholic or found out to be an alcoholic, you know, I mean, with the miracle on the Hudson. Uh, yeah, again, it's Denzel, so he's going to do his thing. But uh, yeah, here he's, um, he's sort of playing something uh, a little bit different. It's not the sort of the, um, you know, well, I mean, it's not the, you know, effort, effort you know, effortlessly charming sort of, uh, you know, uh, every man that he, uh, he he's, you know, made his own. It's sort of, yeah, he's charming here, but it's hiding a very dark side. It's hiding a lot of trauma. It's hiding a lot of, uh, you know, of course, uh, alcohol addiction uh, being prominent. Um, and uh, yeah, here uh, it is, it does go into sort of like, uh, you know, uh the people behind the heroes that we really like to prop up and i think yeah it's this is and you know Den, you know denzel's a perfect fit for that sort of thing sort of uh uh and uh, uh yeah a fantastic performance and it's it's good seeing zemeckis go back to it you know quote-unquote adult dramas uh uh, but, uh, you know, it sort of uh, when he was perfecting sort of the CGI and this was sort of his comeback to sort of live action after sort of playing around with the CGI, you know, all CGI sort of works. But uh, it's it, yeah, it's good to see them team up and really give it all in this sort of, uh, uh, you know, again, yeah, just, you know, I, I, sort of this very uh, bare bones sort of uh, 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 adult drama about addiction and heroification and, and, and all that. But uh uh, yeah, I'll let uh, uh, Kenyatta, uh, if you want to talk about uh, Django, uh, I'll, let, uh, I'll let him take the floor. Yeah, so um, I, as I mentioned, that was my number one film of two, 2012. Uh, it was my most anticipated film. Uh, avid uh, Quentin Tarantino fan, and from my understanding, um, this is uh, QT's uh, pretty much uh, Western trilogy with the uh the first one being uh well they you know right after Django then you had Glorious Bastards and then you had um uh Hateful Eight. So pretty much this was the first of the trilogy of Westerns, that's what he called it. So um 
yeah, I mean, in the theater, uh, it was one of those things where people was like, oh, we're tired of uh, 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 movies about slavery. Uh, but uh, this is the very first uh, movie about slavery where you had uh, the slave as the hero and um, he was fearless. Um, and then like one of my favorite parts is when he, um, he turned the whip on one of the, the slavers and everybody was clapping and cheering. And um, yeah, I mean, you had to wonder, we want to talk about performances. Oh my God, uh, Stephen Jackson as, uh, um, what's, what's the character's name again? Um, Stephen. You know, Samuel L. Jackson played Stephen and it's like, then the Candy, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, he just did a, a fantastic job. Uh, so just overall, you know, just fantastic performances. And, um, you know, people, you know, it's a pretty long movie, but if it, it feel like it to me, it's one of those movies I could see over and over and over and over again. Um, so like, like I said, it's kind of like, if you want to see what your favorite QT movie is, um, I would be hard pressed to, you know, to pick from, you know, that, that whole Western trilogy. I, one day it might be this one, but it's, it's, it's up there. One of my favorite QT movies. So, um, yeah, I know there was a lot of controversy around the, the N word, but it's like, you know, I mean, we're talking about slavery here. It's like, you know, if, of course you're gonna hear the N word, but I guess because his career, his uh, other films in his, in his career use the N word quite a bit, uh, like you know, Pulp Fiction, for example. And then you had, you know, Spike Lee felt it was um, insulting that he kind of turned it to like a comic book, book, uh, you know, uh, feel to it. But then again, it's like all his films are pretty much like they, you know, chick, all you gotta do is look at Kill Bill and uh, Inglorious Bastards. I mean, that's just his style, you know, kind of like that grindhouse seventies like movies he grew up watching and loving. Uh, you know, you would think that's his favorite era, the seventies and eighties and stuff like that. It's just QT is just a lover of film and. Uh, and used to work at a video store, so imagine all the films you've seen and uh, loved throughout the time, and it turned him into a very excellent uh, film director. So, yeah, I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, I really uh, liked uh, Django, uh, sort of, um, uh, yeah, against uh, following along with a sort of uh, his, his career, sort of post. Um, uh, you know, uh, post to Kill Bill has been these, uh, you know, doing these revenge thrillers that uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, not quite writing the wrongs of uh, of history, but uh, giving us a sort of a catharsis that, uh, you know, never, never happened in the reality. Um, and that's, that's sort of, uh, but uh, I mean, it's, it's just, a, it's just a fun time, uh, just all around. And yeah, I guess there's, uh, commentary that maybe maybe these shouldn't be just fun time and sort of romps and everything, but uh, especially about this particular period. But uh, if you are going to do it, uh, you know Tarantino will go all the way, and uh, he he does it. Uh, of course, here with his uh, his flair and his style, and 
it's uh, it was it was great seeing. Yeah, it's, of course, uh, with Terry Teeter, you're going to get a great cast, you know, with uh, great performances all around. Uh, and um, yeah, Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Stephen uh, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Kerry Washington. Yeah, I mean, you get the sort of the uh, sort of the A list that uh, Tarantino can sort of procure whenever he does a project. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, and of course, you know, it's 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 good seeing uh, uh, Jamie Foxx and uh, just running around and gunning down, you know, Southern plantation owners. But uh, I think DiCaprio sort of just sells it. You know, it's, it was good seeing sort of like this, uh, uh, seeing him sort of um, lash out and uh, be this, uh, be, be this just, uh, you know, sort of cartoonish again. Yeah. There could be questions about depictions about, uh, about, uh, you know, the plant, sort of the plantation owners, but uh, here it's uh, done sort of um, uh, it's everyone's, everyone's a cartoon in the Tarantino's world. And here the probably DiCaprio's uh, candy is uh, probably the most cartoonish and uh, just, uh, but uh at the same time you get the evil you get the evilness that uh is is apparent but um yeah again uh, uh it was a it's a, it's tarantino doing sort of uh you know a, a black exploitation western and it's exactly what uh, you probably uh and you get that exactly and um yeah yeah i, I agree with you one of my one of my favorites as well <laughs> yeah as i said this, this one is really on my my list but I couldn't determine whether it's flight or this one. Um, so I really appreciate this one as well. And I think for me, what pushed it just, you know, below flight was what you kind of mentioned already with um, the kind of the cartoon aspect of it. I, I think it really becomes an episode of Wile E. Coyote when, when Tarantino himself is in the, the film and he explodes, whatever. It's like the, the Acme names have been on the bomb at that point. Like, okay, this that just took it like to another level of like, oh, this is like Roadrunner uh, situation. But I really can't fault. You know, it is really um, as mentioned cathartic to see uh, Jamie Fox uh, exact his revenge. Um, but I think he would just toned back the cartoon cartoon element just a little bit. Might have made my list. Still an excellent movie, though. Hey. You want to talk about um, things that kind of turned you off? I mean, it's not a perfect film, of course, like what it, what movie is, but what kind of turned me off was um, one thing in particular is the name of Harry um, Washington's character, Brune Helder. Now, you know, I don't know if you suspect he got that from the old, because like I said, his era seems to be like the 70s, 80s. And now, if you got the Boston Globe and you turn to the um, the comic section, there's a, actually a comic strip called Brune Hilda. Um, so, so I was like, did he get that name from the cartoon? You know, I it wouldn't be, I wouldn't doubt it coming from uh, Quentin Tarantino. And plus, Candyland, come on, no, that the board game that came out in this in the seventy, I think it came out by Mil, Mil, I think it was Milton Bradley or Hasbro, one of them. Uh, very popular uh, game for kids, board game for kids that came out. I believe it had, I, I think it's the 70s. If you look it up, it might be the 70s. So um, I, I didn't bother. I thought I thought that was kind of cool, you know, kind of like that. Have that because he tried to put like pop culture and, you know, into his films. And uh, so the Brunhilde, the name of that character kind of threw me off. 
um, because it, I couldn't help but to think of that, um, the comic book strip in the Boston Globe and also the rap music. It just didn't go for me. I mean, um, I just didn't, you know, sometimes when movies do that, where you're depicting the 1800s or or some kind of time period from way back and you're using a music that we listen to today, sometimes it just does not work. Um, very seldom it works. So um, those are my critiques of the film. I would agree with the whole music piece because, you know, what I like to do when I watch a film is get lost in it, right? And the music just takes me away. It brings me back out of the experience of being kind of in the movie and it reminds me I'm watching a movie, right? And I'm watching a movie that was, you know, um, I guess um, shaped by the soundtrack the person who's creating it wanted to, to have in there and it just doesn't fit. I, um, I don't know if everyone's experience is similar to mine in that I, I watch and it's almost like a trance, right? I have the blinders on and I want to be in it so much so that when I'm in a film and someone's talking, it throws me off, right? That's what this music does, kind of throws me off and reminds me I'm watching a movie. I don't want to be reminded of that. I want to be immersed in it. Right, right. Uh, uh, yeah, it's already, it's already, it was already mentioned, yeah, the Tarantino with the, you know, Crocodile Dundee Aussie accent is just like what <laughs> like i get that we're having a you know again yeah we're having a fun time in you know the old uh you know the old south here um you know questionably but uh yeah that that thing kind of did uh, throw me off uh, uh again yeah the music choices uh, yeah it's tarantino having having fun but uh yeah there's um there there's debates that can be had on you know how you know these especially this particular time period uh, can be depicted but um let me since uh, everyone else has done their number ones i want to do a drum roll please for my own and it is uh so I'll, I'll set the stage a little bit so yeah as i said this was sort of right when i was getting into movies or more into movies and you know figuring out the filmmaking process you know certain filmmakers sort of uh, uh works and video and uh filmographies and um uh, this particular one i was i was getting i was just getting into and uh his latest movie was uh was slated to come out at the end of the year uh with uh, joaquin phoenix and uh, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and uh, of course I was you know the first to buy a ticket that opening weekend, and it is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's mas the master, and um, it is uh, it is not about Scientology. It is it is one hundred percent not about Scientology, as is in the fine print uh, at the end of the movie. Uh, it is not it is not intended to depict any real life, but I mean the comparisons are impossible to shake. Uh, uh, it's definitely Scientology esque, let's just say. And um, uh, the but really yes, it goes into sort of the the beginning history of uh, Scientology. You know, L. Ron Hubbard and the the Navy, and uh, you know how he was able to sort of. Uh, uh, build up this, let's just say it cult. Um, let's, let's just say it that, but uh, he was able to build up sort of like this, uh, this, this following an organization, but really the, the main sort of thrust is the, is the interplay between Joaquin Phoenix and Philip, Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And this is sort of, uh, you know, um, I know Joaquin Phoenix had been still acting, you know, around and, and some other things, but this was sort of like his reintroduction to, 
being on, on the A-list again. You know, he had sort of been relegated to, you know, yeah, good parts here and there ever since uh, Gladiator. But this was sort of like his, uh, his announcement that I'm, I'm ready to go back into like the, the, the A-list. And uh, yeah, he completely uh, sells it. Uh, he did in a dedicated performance um, and going toe-to-toe with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's, uh, not L. Ron Hubbard, uh, but um, uh, again, uh, the byplay between the two is just extraordinary. Uh, it is one of the best sort of uh, just battle of wills, you know, between this uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's lost soul. Um, he, he was kicked out of the Navy for, you know, trying to, you know, make ethanol based alcohol to, you know, to fuel his addiction. And uh, it's Philip Seymour Hoffman seeing like, if I can change this one person, then I can change, you know, I can, I can gather a following, you know, uh, across the land and it's it's a it's a, a just a battle of titans that, that happens that you just feel and uh, it's one of those movies that as soon as the uh, end credits started happening i didn't know what to quite what to think uh and i was sort of dumbfounded well not dumbfounded i was sort of just i didn't know what to think and uh thankfully i was with somebody that we had a discussion afterwards about it which was invaluable um and um it's you know it's one of those move, formative movies for me that really uh, said that well you know what what can movies actually do and um yeah i, I always uh, give thanks to sort of this movie for uh, you know I, it was many movies but i'll, I'll sort of uh, highlight uh, the master as sort of being the first sort of uh, instance where I, I could be like like you know, I want to be a filmmaker or I want to figure out more about, you know, this, uh, uh, the filmmaking process. I, I will, I'll, I'll give it thanks to, uh, to Paul Thomas Anderson on that, on that end. Yeah. I started, hey, go ahead, no, I, I said, I, I, I started watching it and, um, I never quite something. I forgot what, I forgot what it was that stopped me watching it, but I always tended to go back to watch it. So, um yeah now that you mentioned I'm, I'm i'm definitely going that's in my queue and it's always been in my queue for a while so maybe i'll push it up further in my queue to uh uh um you know to see that really soon kenyatta and i've had did have the same experience i guess because I, I started watching and just i just i dropped it I, it's like something about it didn't propel me to forward through you know watching this movie i don't know what it was just didn't feel as if I, I, I didn't sit in the theater. Was I didn't leave a theater, but it was on TV or it was. Um, I think it was back in again the DVD days of, of Netflix, and I just said, you know what? No, I'm not going to devote any more time to this. I'll, I'll check it out somewhere down the line. I haven't gotten back to it. Don't know what that. I couldn't put my finger on what it was that 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 steered me away from it, but that was my experience too. Yeah, if this works on you, this will really work on you. Yeah, uh, you were saying about movies that put you into a trance. Like I was entranced by just the, the level of acting that's going on. And I mentioned, you know, Hoffman and Phoenix, but Amy Adams and, uh, you know, uh, an early uh, Jesse Plemons role uh, back when he was uh, trying to, to break in. And um, <clears throat> yeah, the entire the entire cast and, of course, uh, you know, Anderson's direction uh, in terms of uh filming just how you know <clears throat> uh you get that uh you know philip Seymour, you know philip Seymour's character is sort of like this has he has charisma uh but he's also you know uh he's also completely out of his his uh, you know his league in terms of trying to um 
trying to impart wisdom and trying to impart sort of like uh, teachings and philosophy and there. And, um, but uh, I, I, yeah, again, yeah, it's a, uh, I, I, I will of course recommend uh, that you finish all the way through, but um, yeah, if it's, um, you know, if it works on you, it's going to really work on you. And uh, if it, uh, if something is not quite uh, hitting with you, uh, it probably not, it'll probably not land the, the way it's supposed to. <clears throat> I mean, I did like Boogie Nights and his other films, Magnolia, Punch Drug Love. Um, didn't like Inherent Vice so much and <laughs> Phantom Thread. Um, but I do have Licorice Pizza in my uh, my queue, but I'll definitely go back and watch The Masters. So I, I do like uh, this director, so I'll definitely check it out just on the strength of uh, his past filmography. Yeah, this is very different from his. Uh, I don't know how different, but yeah, it's very different from Boogie Nights at the very least. Uh, yeah, this is um, much more, <clears throat> uh, much more methodical. There's not a uh, yeah. The pacing is you know it, uh, it lingers a little bit, but I, I think it's intentional. It's a uh, um, yeah. It's a great and a great and again a great an all time great just to. Uh, you know, two hand sort of uh, Battle of Wills performance uh, performances by uh, uh, Phoenix and Hoffman. I'm surprised no one mentioned uh, on their list the movie 2012. <laughs> Didn't come out of 2012. <laughs> Didn't come out of 2012. Yeah. So that, <laughs> I mean, was, my honorable mention is, you know, I, I did enjoy the Dark Knight Returns, um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, what else is an honorable mention? Um, I'm trying to think out what else came out in 2012. Um, I know the more popular films, like, uh, oh, there's one. And um, I, I I did not expect to like it uh, as much as I did. And the reason why, you know, some, I, I'm always driving my wife to the movies and and she complains, oh, wait, well, I always watch what you want to watch. You know what I'm saying? So, um, anytime a movie comes out, I think she would like to go see. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, tough it out and, uh, <laughs> and and be fair, right? So this movie called Silver Linings Playbook. You know, I'm thinking this is a chick flick, blah blah blah, and I end up enjoying it quite a bit. So, yeah, so so that's that's definitely um, a movie I recommend. It's on Netflix, I believe. So. Yeah, that's a Russell movie, right? Um, what we call it? Russell uh, directed it. Uh, what's his first oh, name? Uh, uh, Russell, o. Russell. Russell. What's his name? O. Russell. Oh, David O. Russell. David O. Russell. Yeah, David yeah, Russell. yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's the one where famously he had a tantrum, I guess. So uh, the first time he kind of realized <laughs> this guy might be a nutcase uh, as a director. Right. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah, I'll do a quick honorable mention. I know. Uh, I know Mark has to jet a little bit, but uh, yeah, quick honorable mention, uh, Zero Dark Thirty, sort of um, um, the chronicling of the uh, of, of uh, assassinating, uh, you know, Osama bin Laden, you know, which had just happened the year prior, which is amazing that they were able to gather all the information and then make a script and then do the production in, you know, a year's time. Hmm, um, which came first? Yeah, came first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which came and first? Yeah. Did they have this in production already? <laughs> ah, yes. There we go. Well, we mentioned Kubrick already, so I guess we have to mention uh, conspiracy theories. But uh, yeah, Zero Dog Thirty, Catherine Bigelow, uh, sort of the uh, one of the definitive looks on the war on terror. Um, in my, at least in my book, at least that's that's been a narrative film. But uh, 
also uh, Skyfall. It's, oh, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. the, thir- the third arting from uh, Daniel Craig, who's uh, recently retired from the, the Bond, uh, uh, donning the suit. But uh, yeah, Skyfall was sort of like, like, OK, this guy, you know, after one huge hit with uh, Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Yeah, this is yeah, I think this was sort of the sticking point that uh, you knew that uh, Daniel Craig was going to put his own stamp on the uh, on the franchise. And then uh, lastly, I'll just mention what was I going to say? <laughs> I'll mention. <clears throat> A movie that uh, movies like this will never get made again and will never see the light of day or never get made. Uh, Cloud Atlas from uh, the Wachowskis and uh, Tom Twyker. Uh, Cloud Atlas is a Cloud Atlas is a is a trip. Um, it is a sort of metaphysical journey of uh, souls and uh, time frames and uh, and a whole bunch of other stuff that uh, the Wachowskis uh, throw at the screen. Um, and, um, I, I can't say I agree with every single sort of, uh, creative decision, but I mean, uh, movies like this, just, you won't see movies like this, like, um, uh, probably, ever, but probably because of cloud Atlas, you won't see movies like, like this ever again on the, on the big screen, but <laughs> I guess um, the question is, will the Wachowskis make movies ever again? <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, I, I, I think it seems like, thankfully, you know, um, I know they've they've got they've have quite a divisive uh, sort of filmography after the Matrix, uh, especially with uh, this crowd right here. But um, uh, I'll always appreciate movies like this. Again, I, I mentioned you know off uh, you know uh, off recording before recording that I love movies that just go for broke in every single aspect. You know, some of the decisions work, some of the decisions don't work. But again, um, you can see that the the filmmakers are just going for every single sort of. Um, the nth degree here and that's especially true with cloud atlas um definitely it, it always has to be mentioned uh, just in terms of those movies that go for broke and let me just mention one more that people probably forgot and i don't know if any of you guys uh saw this but life of pi angley film um i thought that was pretty good it was just um good fam- you know watch something watch with the family it just yeah, it was just uh, something different, you know, that uh, our music watch. So, um, yeah, so Life of Pi. Yeah, I, I echo that Life of Pi as well as Skyfall. Um, I'll let y'all check out Cloud Atlas if you want, but it's not my thing. <laughs> it's not yours. That's not my thing. Okay, <laughs> no worries. No worries. So much so, I, I, feel, I feel like really um, adamant about just stating how much I feel as I've been I've been duped by the Wachowskis. Um, <laughs> I want anybody who hears this to go to IMDb and write down the whole list of Wachowski movies and pick out the good ones and then and see what else and just gonna you know, cross out the, the good ones until they are left on the page. So I really get frustrated by the Wachowskis because I think they they dupe me into believing that the original Matrix was going to be, you know, the, the groundbreaking nature of that. And um, just the fact that it was pressing it, it was beyond pressing. It was, it was actually before it's time. Right. So, um, yeah, they they got me. I was believing. <laughs> I was believing and they duped me. Mark, I, like, I am on you. I'm on the, I'm on the okay. same page with you. Every time I see what every time I see that name, um, there was an old uh, there was a um, old cartoon back in the seventies, um, Speed Racer. Um, I mean, I'm thinking, oh, like I'm excited. Okay, I see the directors attached to it, and it's like, 
wow, I just got to be a good film. And it's like, like you said, duped you, you know? But, uh, you know, because after Matrix, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be one of those directors that uh, every time the name's attached, you, you guarantee to have a good time, kind of like, you know, James Cameron and, um, you know, somebody, somebody of that ilk. But, you know, I, I, I got disappointed, um, you know, a few times. So, uh, especially with that last Matrix. So, um, that didn't help their, their cause when it comes, you know, my my preference. It's all Miss Stewart. The first Matrix is all Miss Stewart. <laughs> um, and they, they took her little, uh, I, I guess, screenplay and, or, or whatever she did. And they adapted it. And that's all it was. They didn't have enough source material to keep on, I, I guess, uh, pilfering off of her. Um, the charlatans. Snake oil salesmen. Anyway, I'll leave it. At that. <laughs> well, they should they should apologize, give her money that she she deserves, and they should hire her, and so they can uh, just you know go back to prominence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know if those are final words. <laughs> final words. Okay. All right. We hope you enjoyed our favorite movies of 2012. Whether we talked about some of your favorites or give you new movies to check out, we hope you had a fun listen. Be sure to get back here for our next episode on our decade-hopping lookbacks with our favorite movies from 2002. Feel free to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and on the platforms. You can support this podcast in the Screenwriters Group with a monthly donation by clicking on the support button at anchor.fm. You can join Kenyatta and I are virtual screenwriters forums by RSVPing on meetup.com and our Facebook. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Links are in the description. All the best in your writing, watching movie and streaming shows, and taking care of one another.